a Choke Engineering production. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. I'm extremely excited today to have our guest on. Uh, if you have a 6.4 liter power stroke and are on Facebook, you definitely know her name. She is a legend in the 6.4 pages and has helped so many guys uh, with so many different questions or problems that they've had with her truck. She's had an extensive uh, um, uh, experience with Ford, uh, Ford Motor Company uh, as a technician and I'm just really happy to have her on today. Um, she has been a wealth of information and definitely a blessing to the 6-4 crowd. And as you all know, 6-4 uh, need all the blessings that they can handle. So without further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce you to Shana Greenwood. Shana, is, um, uh, it's just a pleasure to have you on today. And we are so excited that you uh, uh, took the time to join us. Well, I'm glad to be here. Well, tell me a little bit about, you know, I see you on the pages all the time and me and you've been friends for a good long while now. Um, and we see so many times that, you know, you've got guys that are on the pages asking questions. Tell me a little bit about, but you never, you never get to know about the person behind, you know, the Facebook page um, and all their, their experiences and what they've, they've kind of uh, uh, gone through and their, their diesel um, uh, history. So can you tell Tell the, the, the folks listening a little bit about yourself. Oh, my, my dealings with Ford Diesel started when I was a little kid with the 6.9. Um, my dad plays mechanic. He's actually a master electrician. But the time he was a logger, and all he had was, you know, the 6.9s, which eventually turned into the 7.3 Power Stroke. He rebuilt those engines. He had me in the engine bay with him. I can tell you he definitely wanted a little boy, and he was stuck with me, and it didn't matter to him. <laughs> so he was one of those people that he understood you know kind of like the the why of it I don't want just the answer I want to know why yeah and so that's that's where I think you know I just become enthralled in the 6-4 pages is because for one I had a 6-4 but two there's a lot of things that go on in the 6-4 world where everyone just has an answer but they never tell anybody why right yeah Analytical thinking is definitely something that is a thing of the past, unfortunately. You know, in the day we live, it's part, it's load up the parts cannon and just kind of shoot it at it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. It seems like most people would rather throw parts at something than take the time and have it troubleshot correctly or go to a shop that can do the work. I see a lot of shops around here. Um, I'm in Abilene, Texas. There are shops that have six fours piled out all over in front of them. I can tell you why they're there. Because they can't fix them or it's too expensive to fix them, so they just get part. And I was offered a job by somebody here in town, you know, full-time onto the diesel mechanic. But since I lost my leg, which was inside of a wonderful port excursion, that was like my 7.3. I loved it to death. Had it forever. And uh, after that, you know, being able to get up and down on top of things is a little bit tougher. And being in the Texas heat, it's not a lot of fun. But I have no problem if somebody breaks down on the side of the road, if they need help. I have rescued people all over the state of Texas. I've had people just stop by my place, and we do troubleshooting. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy that actually stopped in. He got a hold of me through Facebook. He had a truck that kept going into limp mode. He just bought it from somebody here in Abilene, one of the, one of the auto dealers. And come to find out, the oil cooler had ruptured. Mm. And funny part is, the truck just had paperwork saying that the oil cooler had been fixed. Oh, man. Obviously not. But they went ahead and took my word and let him take all the money that he had put into that truck so far and put it towards another, another vehicle. So that helped a lot. 
Yeah, that's uh, uh, we we see our share of, of horror stories. Uh, it's man, it's terrible. You get so many of those. You know, we, we posted recently one with a, a rag in the intake. Um, there was another one that came through uh, with fuel that just uh, literally was the, the crankcase was full of fuel and wiped out the. Uh, well, thankfully, it didn't wipe out the bearings. It was so bad that it actually had filled the crankcase full of fuel and got on top of the piston and bent six out of eight connectors. Yeah. Yeah. Fuel dilution. Most people with a stock one. Um, a lot of people don't know because I run a big, large RV resort here now in Abilene, and we get a lot of six fours in. But my problems, I see just as many problems in a six seven and a six liter that come in here in any other engine when they break down. Yeah. Uh, but people have no idea about fuel dilution. These guys are pushing these trucks on ten thousand mile oil changes, and they're stock. Yeah, I thought that's. That was- that was always funny. Now you you were Ford Tech, so you remember when they first came out, and that's Ford was actually saying uh, when they first came out that this was a low maintenance engine, which I thought was hilarious now because nothing could be further from the truth. But they were telling you that you know you could run uh, I think it was it twelve thousand miles on oil changes, something like that, and then they said that if you found as much as two quarts of oil uh, or maybe even more during an oil change, that was perfectly normal. There's nothing uh, uh, nothing to be worried about. But then they dropped it to 5%, and 5% is still a lot. If you know the properties of oil and what diesel does to oil, you wouldn't be happy with that situation at 5%. No, not at all. No, we've seen more bearing failures from fuel dilution than any other. Hands down, 95% of the time, bearing failure occurs. It's almost always uh, due to fuel dilution. And, you know, you think about, you know, oil has three different things that it has to do. It has to cool the engine, it has to clean the engine, it has to lubricate the engine. And when you take and you are reducing the viscosity of that oil for diesel fuel, uh, the hydrodynamic wedge that is so imperative for it to have is uh, you've taken the protection of the engine completely away. And people just don't, they don't, I guess they don't, they don't think about that that much. They think, how can I get that 10,000 mile oil change? Oil's cheap compared to an engine. Yeah. Then that's why I trail everybody when they don't want to buy OEM filters or OEM sensors and things it's like it's cheaper in the long run the oh the, the let's say the evp sensor a lot of people go through them especially now the trucks are 13 years old plus i'm like look that that oem sensor lasted you that long why are you being so cheap to not put in that extra 15 or 20 bucks to get an oem sensor right yeah that's absolutely i don't give on sensors ever no. always yeah filters, filters are are definitely our nemesis you know uh, with the aftermarket Wix filters, or the uh, I mean, you really you can fill in the blank here, but uh, the uh, FL twenty sixteen filters not that much, ten to thirteen dollars, maybe even more, depending on where you're at. You might pay as much as eighteen dollars at our Walmart. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you do it? But uh, I see more engines that are are. Uh, compromised or damaged due to something like that and it's the little you know it's a little foxes that spoil the vines but it's the little things that make the big difference like that so yeah it's an engine builder it's definitely been tough for us so so you were a Ford technician and uh, uh, what was which dealership were you were you at so I was chased down by actually a Ford dealership here and never actually went through with it um, in fact, I was stayed up and I worked with a guy across the street. He was working on six liters and six fours all the time. Mm-hmm. This little guy was amazing. He was a lot like um, the Ford Tech Ron that yeah, everybody buys a diesel Tech Ron. Yep. 
And that's where I learned about learned about you know the six liter. He worked with me on my seven three. My seven three like the e transmissions. That was the problem with that. Um, but one of the major reasons why I never went through and became part of Ford's fleet service went out there and did what they were doing was the fact that I had a job that paid for three kids and two of them were incredibly premature and needed a lot of medication. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's, but I got, tons, I got tons of buddies that are Fortex. I got some that I don't know. I mean, they're the biggest brands on earth. They make me look like an idiot. I'll, I find that hard to believe. You, you do an excellent job on the pages and answering the, the, the many questions that you get hammered with through, uh, throughout. And I know the guys on the six four pages are greatly appreciative of it. And, uh, and I am as well, because it's a, it's a big service, especially when, you know, there's so many guys on the pages, sometimes it's so hard to try to help. And there's so much bad information, you know, like we're talking about, so much bad information that you, uh, you it's, you gotta be extremely careful on, on who you trust. And um, it's frustrating because uh, you see that answer. And unfortunately people think because the vast majority of the people say this or that, then that must be the right answer, but it, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, there's a lot of, especially when it comes to the electrical side of things, people just start throwing parts at it, and they're like, oh yeah, this is what I did to change this. And it's like, no, you end up changing a part in between that actually changed the problem, but you just continue going. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they don't know, and I wake up, I probably have 10, 15 private messages from people needing help. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I'm being sure. able to kind of wind down for my day, I mean, I'm up super early, I run this place, I'm always on call, so... It's my wind down time, being able to help guys out. Yeah. And I don't mind explaining something 10 different ways and so they understand. Right, right. Because I think a lot of the 6 fours rap just comes from people with bad experiences or people who abuse a truck and the truck didn't stand out. You know, right. do it tolerate Yeah. Well, yeah, I love a 6 four. Uh, I think they're a fantastic truck. Uh, I think that, you know, as we all know, They've definitely had their issues from a factory. There's no doubt about that. But when done right, and when they have a uh, solid foundation on them, I, you know, they're, they're hard to beat. They really are. So uh, you go ahead and get that. I got it. All right. He's got it out there. I ain't got to answer that. <laughs> so, but, but anyway. that's, that's probably one of my biggest things. Is that a uh, there's just so much bad information out there. It's it's everywhere. Yeah. There's even texts online that, you know, you go right into the tech and the truck prints an answer and, you know, they're talking about putting a high pressure oil pump in your 6.4 that's having problems. Right. Like, you obviously don't know the truck. You don't know the platform. Right. Just keep your mouth shut. Right. Right. Yeah. The nice thing is the spark plugs. Yeah. I know. I, know. I know. Everybody sees that. But anybody that can see through it because they've been in it, they just, it's frustrating. But, um, and then at the same time, you're trying to help the, the customer or, or not the customer, but the, uh, uh, the person online and your opinion or what your statement is, is, is no different than the guy over here that's maybe 16 year old kid never doesn't even have his driver's license and he has no clue about the truck, but it doesn't matter because one voice is the same as the other. So it makes it difficult, but that's the reason why we do these podcasts because, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to be a keyboard warrior. It's another thing to be able to. Uh, take questions on go one by one and be able to sit down and answer them and, and try to help people. And that's what we're going to do today. So we've got a list of questions that were asked to us uh, on the six, four pages. So uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into those. If you feel like a, a little bit of game show type uh, uh, question and answer, we'll go ahead and, and get started with that. 
So now we're into the question segment of the show. So we want to go ahead and uh, address some that have been asked to us. Now, keep in mind, if you've got some questions about your 6.4 or your Power Stroke or your Coventry Duramax, please send them in. Uh, you can email us questions. We'll do our best to help you with uh, whatever uh, the, the situation may be on that. Um, but we have a list of questions today, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started with that. So the first question comes from Rob, and he's asking me if uh, asking the, he asked the page if you are building a 6.4 for high RPMs, do you need to add oil clearance? So that's a good question, Rob. Um, we definitely have a lot of experience with our uh, horsepower 6.4s. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, is asked in that question, obviously, the, the added oil clearance, uh, the answer to that is yes, because of fluid film friction. So when you start having a higher RPM, basically what you do is have a stack of oil that's trying to exit. You have a shear rate of that oil that creates actually more friction. Now, 40% of the heat in the engine uh, that's dissipated. We talked about the cooling, the cleaning, and the lubricating that, that was provided by oil. 40% of that heat is extracted by the oil itself. Uh, so that's a tremendous amount of burden on that oil. So by doing so, when you're spending a higher RPM like that, uh, with the higher fluid film friction, it's definitely important. Typically what we see, um, there's a give, there's a trade-off, you know, uh, with the new 6.7s, Shana, I know you've seen this, the newer 6.7s are running, uh, I don't know if you paid much attention to the 2020s, but now they're running a, a variable stage pump. Um, and some of the reasons why they're seeing that is because the oil clearances that they began with were running as tight as 7 tenths clearance. Now, for our listeners that may not know what 7 tenths equates to, the human hair, depending on ethnicity, is about three thousandths of an inch. That's pretty incredible when you think that uh, you know, maybe one fourth of the human hair is what the oil clearance actually is. That's extremely tight. Um, so, obviously, when we're one other thing about running a higher RPM is is that you have more deflection uh, with the um, with the crankshaft with the connecting rods uh, and the bearing surfaces. And that thing's you know, it's a it's controlled explosions, and eight of them are happening in every ninety degrees of rotation of the crankshaft. So there's a tremendous amount of uh, chaos that's going on, and it's all it's all controlled based off of uh, the block and the oil and the bearings that are trying to keep everything from blowing and scattering all over the road. Uh, so added clearances for the deviation is definitely uh, suggested suggested on that. You got anything you want to kind of touch on on that, Shana? I just think that people. I mean, if you're making like a dedicated sled truck or a race truck. You know, then they, people need to know if you're going to be running tight tolerances, you have to run a synthetic oil. You have to run something that the viscosity matches what you're running. You can't just pull, put 1540 in there and go after it. You're going to have a problem. Yeah, that's a good point because there's so many things that people want. Uh, and I think that that goes to another question that we were asked uh, on another episode was uh, somebody saying something about they didn't know 10W30 versus 15W40. What's the right oil? And the truth of the matter is, is that the right oil for the racing application, like you just pointed out, is not the right oil for the daily driver. What determines the right oil is a couple of things. One is the ambient temperature in which it's going to be operated. Second is, is the bearing clearances that you're going to actually use. So typically the higher the bearing clearances uh, or the looser the bearing clearances are, uh, the thicker the viscosity 
because there's four things that we know about oil, as Lake Speed always says, it's the right oil, the right place, the right amount, the right time. And it doesn't, if one of those four things are not in place, uh, bearing starvation and engine failure can occur. So uh, it's important to match up. You know, what, what, what ran in grandpa's tractor doesn't work in the six sevens. We've seen that through a tremendous amount of bearing failures, especially from about the 11 to 16 model uh, six sevens, where guys are just, you know, the manufacturer will call for a 5W oil and guys are running 15 and they're having dry startup issues. Um, that engine's a whole other story with a whole other set of problems, but um, but it definitely is something that uh, uh, it needs to, to be considered when you're, when you're choosing to select an oil. I would definitely say oil is very misunderstood. You see the pages, the, the pages and pages upon people asking about what is the right oil, you know. Um, it really it depends on where you're at, what you're doing with the truck, with the temperature. I mean, just all, there's so many things that go into it. Right. Yeah. Everybody says, oh, if I put 5W40 in there, it's going to be like water. And I can hear that engine making so much more noise. Right. Okay. That engine oil still acts the same way operating temperature as 1540. Mm-hmm. That's what's important. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, getting in touch with, you know, if you have an engine that's been rebuilt by your machine shop. Uh, it's always important to see what their bearing clearances were set to, are they what the standard clearances are because you know we got guys that are run a six seven and after we machine the blocks we open the clearances up a little bit and we suggest running a little bit heavier weight oil. Uh, so it's always good to get in touch with your machine shop and make sure. So uh, I hope that answers your question Rob and uh, thanks for asking. So the next question comes to us from Jake. He says, I'm spitting coolant on a hot tune, but it won't do it on stock or tow. I don't have, uh, I've done a block test at normal temps and idle temps and found nothing. I've got brand new Promax heads and studs. I've done all the proper torque, specs, and sequence. This isn't my first rodeo. So I checked and there wasn't any coolant mixing either. All right, you wanna take that one? Sure. My first question is what year is a truck? If it's a jump 108 and you're filling to that fill line and you're putting it under pressure, like you're stomping on it, making that truck go under heavy load, you're going to puke coolant. That's why Ford upgraded the bottle in the later job 08, job twos. That way they could turn around and move that fill line down. The first fill line is like that far above the seam. The second one's about that far. Yeah. Those job leaves, you can let a puke and they'll end up with about an inch visible. Mm-hmm. And that's where they're at. Yeah. If it's not a job 108, my thing is, block test, yeah, it's a great tool, but I would rather pressure test and see what kind of pressure is ending up in that degas bottle more than trusting a block right. test. That's that's a very good point. I can't tell you how many times I've done a block test and had a lot. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, pressurizing the uh, or, or doing a pressure test, uh, just driving it down the road with uh, a long tube that you can get onto the cap and. and um, accelerating hard now the reasons for that uh you know there's probably a guy that's running a can tune from uh i won't name it we'll call it hotel in sierra but whatever um those are generally the two the tunes the uh the can tunes that we see that are running more than 32 degrees injection timing then all you're really doing and i always make this analogy um you know if anybody's ever played uh what was it uh uh the game, you know, that you play with a ball that's a stri- attached to a string. Um, that, tether uh, ball? Tether ball, thank you. 
Can't even think of it. Thanks. Tetherball. So, you know, if you're playing tetherball and that ball's coming around and you there's a, there's just a perfect time to be able to hit it to get the most velocity out of that ball. The problem with it is, is if you swing too early, you wind up jamming your finger. You swing too late and then you don't get uh, the force that would be applied to the ball. That's the connecting rod relationship between the connecting rod and rotational assembly and the injector. And what happens is, is when you start cranking up the injection timing, uh, you start injecting the fuel in and it, instead of it trying to uh, act like the tether ball and force the piston back down the cylinder, it's actually trying to force the cylinder back down the other direction. Um, but before doing so, it creates a tremendous amount of cylinder pressures. And that's probably the reason why you're seeing it on a high, you know, a hotter tune than you are on the other tunes. Uh, good injection timing is absolutely imperative. We see more piston cracking, rod bending, pistons uh, melting uh, because of higher cylinder temperatures. Uh, just a lot of bad, bad situations and all are expensive. So I would consider, you know, what find out what my injection timing would be on that. Yeah, definitely. I like, I always tell people custom, quality custom tuning. Yeah. Just like what used to come on SCT. Yeah. And a lot of it, it was just junk. But I also know that most people aren't going to jump all over their truck in a tow tune. They're going to want to go onto an extreme or a race tune, and that's when they jump on it, and that's when they see the puking coolant. So, yeah. I mean, unless you're putting that truck underneath the same, you know, situation every time, you can't say, oh, it didn't do it here, and it didn't do it here. Right. It just happens to be the nature of the beast. I mean, what are you going to do? If some guy challenges you, you're going to turn it up, and you're going to go smoke his ass. That's what you're going to do. Yeah, that's, uh, that's just a uh, – it's been – it's been – you know, the, the 6.4 gets blamed for so many things. And the problem with it is, is a 6.4, where you can tune a 6.0, there's always a fuse. You know, and I got a good buddy, Chuck Lynch, that always talks about this. And he's so, he's, he's absolutely right. Um, there's a fuse to whatever you do. You know, it, if you, uh, with a 6.0, uh, you wind up having uh, you know, higher boost pressures and then the head gasket lets loose and you fix the head gasket um, and you continue to push the truck. Um, the next weakest link is what always winds up breaking. On the six fours, guys just have so much they can, so much power that you can get out of that truck. Especially, um, which leads me to the to the next question. Um, that uh, and I'm going to skip over Cody, so I'm going to come right back to his question. Go on to Brennan's question here. Joe Engineering Performance. Your stop for all your diesel engine needs. Set yourself apart from the competition with our five-year warranty, balanced rotational assembly, and endless performance add-ons. Call us today at 901-553-9847. Again, that's 901-553-9847. And remember, with Choke, stock is not an option. Is, did tur uh, compound turbos create too high of a drive pressure for the 6.4? If so, then why? So, you know, I'm going to let you, I want you to take this because you started talking about exhaust type pressure sensors early, earlier on, and that's extremely important for these. Go ahead. What's your experience with the 6.4 and high drive pressures? I haven't really had an issue with it. Um, typically, if you were seeing something with incredibly high drive pressure, you'd be lifting heads, having issues like that. Right. Well, heat gaskets, 
I had mine on a toe tune going uphill. Yeah, I hit 61 PSI. I backed out of it. It's not really where I wanted to be. But I don't think it's just drive pressure alone that damages these trucks. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the 6.4, um, that's an interesting thing because with a compound turbo setup or a dual sequential turbo setup, we'll call it, um, you know, this is the only truck that was ever manufactured that was put in, in, in an F-Series or a light-duty pickup, we'll call it, a three-quarter ton, one-ton pickup that had that setup. Um, and because of that, uh, it allows for something that, you know, I've discussed this on other uh, on other podcasts and things, but, you know, you, that 6.4 will make boost at 1,500 RPMs where your 6.0 is, is just starting to spoil out, which is great. It's hard to get used to the 6.7 because I'm so used to yeah. just that, you know, you get your foot on the pedal in that 6.4 and you're gone. Yep. You do it on 6.7, you got to wait, you got that leg, and then it finally kicks right. in. 6.7, it's fast. It's a good it's a good setup, but it doesn't have near the feel of a 6.4. It really, you're absolutely right. It doesn't. There's, they're apples and oranges. They're completely different. So a single sequential turbo is what the 6.7 uh, has, guys, that are listening for the earlier year model turbochargers. And they tried to do something like that with a mirror image uh, compressor wheel. And it didn't really turn out too good for them. It seemed like it had really good spool up. The trade-off with it was is they tried to shrink that turbo down with the AR housing and, and, and be able to spool it up to give it that feel of a small turbo. Problem with it is, is guys put you know, a tuner on the truck and over spool it and blow the turbo to pieces. And actually, horror story, I had a guy, um, I was test driving a vehicle that I did just literally just routine maintenance on this thing. Uh, and the turbo let loose and took the engine out because it passed through the aftercooler on those trucks where it wouldn't have on an intercooler and metal went through the guy's engine and I ended up having that. It was a bad situation. I wanted to have to cover that for the guy, but um, no fault of ours. But it was just, it, you know, wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. Uh, but the compound setup, or I, I refer to it, single sequential, or, or excuse me, dual sequential turbo setup, allows for a higher drive pressures at lower RPMs. So because of that, um, another analogy, you know, I always it's a sustained load. You know, when I was flying aerobatics. Uh, we would do, um, we would go out and we could pull as much as AGs on, on an airplane. Well, our AG and the guy that's flying the, you know, an F-18 Hornet, uh, whereas he would only pull maybe six Gs, um, he has a G suit on or he has to be more concerned about G-lock because our G, uh, high G of, of, of eight might be on and off really quick. So there's, there's no drain or force or drag that's on us to allow the blood to drain from your head to your toes. Whereas he could hold that load and, you know, it would knock the guy out in the front seat. No problem. The same kind of setup sort of works on the way of the velocity of the piston. Now, as that piston is going up and down, when you start slowing that RPM down and you start increasing the drive pressure, what winds up happening is you're, by increasing that drive pressure, uh, you're sustaining the load on the rod, so it's having to bear under that load for a longer duration of time. And because of that, uh, it winds up causing bent connecting rods, and we see a lot of those in the six fours. So just being able to make boost at low RPMs, it's great, but it has a trade-off. It's like everything, there's good things and there's bad things that come from it, and that's one of the bad things. So, you know, a good exhaust back pressure sensor that's clean, 
that's reading correctly, a good tune that's not trying to make a ton of boost at a low, low RPM. If you, you know, it's the same thing. You know, you have, how many guys do you hear, Shana, that are that always say, "Oh man, on connecting rods, I can make 800 horse on a stock set of connecting rods." You know, a lot of guys <laughs> will tell you that. And I, you know, here we are. We're seeing guys that are really having issues at making 700 horsepower out of them. But the difference is, is where you're making that horsepower. If you're creating uh, that horsepower and extending it because you have a larger turbocharger setup uh, and lower drive pressures and you're having to spool to make that power at 3,200 RPM, at 3,400 RPM, um, or 2,800 RPM, you're a lot better off. So uh, I hope that answers the, the question. Um, it's not just a yes or no. Does it create too much drive pressure? Uh, no, not in the right, not in the right environment, right? I guess that's right. That I, guess, I always tell people you pay to play. Whenever you start changing the setup, that's when you're going to find the weak point within your engine. Yep, that's exactly right. There's that fuse again, right? So, all right. Well, thanks, Brendan, for that question. We'll move on to Cody. Uh, Cody, we have a question here. He says, I believe the track bar ball joint on my truck is gone. So I rock the steering back and forth of the whole body, seats side to side, and the truck's Steering completely stinks. Any recommendations for a new one, or should I just push out the old ball joint and replace just it? Shana? Well, first off, when you're reading track bars, it's not just the ball joint. You got that bushing as well, and that bushing can wear out and cause issues. Um, there's enough stuff in the front end of our trucks that can make them do odd things, make it feel weird from side to side. You get the death wobble, you get all these different things. There's so many components into more than just it's one thing. Like you hear all the time, well, you got the death wobble track bar bushing. That doesn't always fix it. I mean, you know, when was the last time the truck was aligned? Did anybody look at alignment on it? What are his tires like? You got to go throughout the whole thing. It's a truck lifted. You know, just throwing parts at it. And if he doesn't know, I mean, the part is super cheap from Ford. It's like 90 bucks for a track bar. You got a lift, you're running something offset, go ahead, go with, you know, adjustable track bar ends. But as far as, you know, everyday people, take it in and have a line. They will tell you what is wrong with it. How come they can't align it? Right. Don't just go throwing pieces at it. Right. Yeah, it's a component. It's, a, it's only one component, but it's a system. And like you said, you know, in machining, we do the same thing. You know, they're stack up clearances. So where you might have slop here, and it may be tight over here, or you think it's tight over here, down the line, all of that will be affect. It affects your your uh, your steering and the play that's in the steering wheel because anything that creates play is going to be transferred back to that steering wheel. So, uh, as far as an aftermarket recommendation, I mean, Moog used to be kind of the go-to on that. What do you suggest? It's 10 one, half a dozen the other. Honestly, whenever I find myself in this situation, I just go back to four parts. Yeah. As far as aftermarket stuff, I haven't played in it a lot. My excursion had a 10 inch lift on 40s. That whole lift kit was made by Rancho a long time ago, and they got rolled in 2012. I haven't dealt with it since. Mm -hmm. Aftermarket isn't always better. That's a fact. That's definitely. I think that the lift kits, you know, some of the cheaper lift kits definitely do create more of the problems for guys than what they realize. So, but I think the people get this like high of getting being able to say, okay, I've got all these parts on my truck and run off 10 different names, right? And we have no idea why they put it on their truck, they're like just a braking runs that this is what I have. Yeah, it's true, it's true. Aftermarket is not always better, 
Um, so again, that boils down, it goes all the way back to what we originally were talking about with, uh, with OE parts for filters or for sensors or whatever it might be. So, um, you know, check it out. Uh, make sure that whatever you're doing with a lift kit like that, I don't know what the situation is with that truck, but with a lift kit like that, it might be, uh, sometimes it might be that that's creating more problems than anything else. So thanks for that question, Cody. We're going to go ahead and move on to William. Uh, he says, uh, the last three times I pulled my trailer, I end up with a check engine light for a day or so, but then it goes away. I had it plugged in in AutoZone and suggest replace the turbocharger assembly. I just got the truck a couple of weeks ago and I don't know much about it yet, but it was suggested to me uh, to, that it may be tuned up too high, could be the problem. When I plug the programmer to try to find out where it's set, it won't let me, it just gives me these three fault codes. I believe that uh, one's a 132B, uh, has to do with the turbocharger. Uh, does this mean it's going bad or could it be something to do with the program? Shana? I wish people would really get the codes. I know P132B is typically an issue with the uh, actuator. Yep. Or it could be something as much as that unison ring or the uh, high pressure turbo has soaked down in, it can't move, therefore it's binding the actuator. Is it a tuning problem? Probably not at this point. If the tune, if you can't get in to tune the truck anyways and knock it down, there's not a lot he can do. But his biggest thing is get those three codes and put them up somewhere where somebody can help him. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because that P two three two is typically paired with a two two or was it P two two six two? Yeah. And that what they go with. Right. Yeah, and keep in mind. I mean, just the way that that question was written. Uh, he plugged it in an AutoZone and suggests to replace the turbocharger assembly. There's never a time when you plug a truck in that it tells you, hey, replace this part. What that means is, is that the computer sees uh, there's a deficit in a certain area or whatever it might be, but it's outside the parameters within a certain amount of time frame. So it's not telling you just to go ahead and throw a part at it. Uh, there's plenty of guys out there who would love to throw a part at it for you and they can charge it. You know, folks fuss about expensive mechanics and, you know, the old adage is true. If you think uh, a cheap mechanic's, you know, expensive, try, or a, a good mechanic's expensive, try hiring a cheap one. And that's so true. Um, so, you know, it it, it really, uh, um, you need to do your due, due diligence in, in diagnosing that. That can be a multiple, multiple things, uh, even down to an EGR valve. Um, but actuator, uh, wiring, tuning. So just make sure, find a good shop that you can trust. It's not uh, not just that it has a business license because that does not constitute a good shop, but one that actually knows their stuff. And if you have any trouble with that, give us a call. We'll be glad to put you in touch with, uh, with a good shop there. Uh, in your yeah, area. There's a reason why they're back there handing you parts and they're not working in a shop. Right. There's quite the price difference there, and I've stood behind find them and just told the people have been told complete lies about the codes. They just bring them five parts and we're like, okay, this is what you need. Yeah. Not even close. <laughs> no, because that, those are expensive parts. It's, and, and the thing about a six four is, is unfortunately, uh, most of the things that you do with a six four are going to require pulling the cab. Yeah, guys are going to say, oh, I can do it with you know without pulling the cab. Yes, you can. Uh, the truth of the matter is, unless you're up north, uh, if it's down south. Um, and you don't have to deal with the rust, we're going to pull the cab to do that job. It's just easier for us to get the back bolts. It's just, it's way easier. I mean, a dog can walk on its hind legs, but 
it's a whole lot more natural the other way. So, um, so you don't want to guess because it's such a big venture to get into. So, uh, but so anyway. I ask twenty questions before I start getting into people's questions. Yeah. You know, I try to get a background. If if you really want help, let us know what you're doing. Were you driving it down the road? Has it been sitting there perk for a while? Now it won't start. You know. Give us everything you can. Remember, just because there's not a check engine light or MI light does not mean that codes aren't present. That's right. That's exactly right. There's a difference between a hard code and a soft code. And, um, and one will set an engine light and the other one will not. So make sure you get all the data. Can't make bricks without clay, right? Uh, you got to have data. So anyways, thanks for that question, William. Uh, we have another question from uh, Bruce. It's my 2010 F-250 Power Stroke has intermittent random PPS gauge sweeping, um, which is followed by a tidal wave of lift issues. The two worst are no upshifting. An engine cooling fan goes into full airplane mode when the tent gauge sweeps from normal temp to full cold C on the gauge. We removed the transmission pan, replaced the TPS, inspected the wiring for TPS and the inspection of the transmission pan. Perform materials, okay. Is there, a, is there a tuner available that controls the engine fan? Better yet, a tuner available to, fit, to put fixed reference signal to the ECM to override the false signal from the TPS gauge to the ECM. Jana. First thing I gotta know is what codes are present. Typically, anytime you got, you're dropping your temperature from your uh, trans temp, the engine's gonna go into the protect itself mode. So does the transmission wire stuff. Inlet mode. So you replaced right. the sensor. Was it replaced with an OEM sensor or was it something cheap off of eBay? Right, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, was it was the harness actually troubleshot with, you know, people testing out pins and seeing what the reference voltage is at, at that sensor? Or, you know, they're just guessing and throwing it back together and throwing it back in there. Yeah. But you're not going to do tuning that's going to shut off that reference and all that stuff that goes into the fan clutch in these trucks no. because it takes multiple correct criteria for that fan clutch to come on well, you know you know but it kind of reminds me of a guy that I, I remember working on a truck one time this is the only time i've ever seen it i actually took a picture of it but he had an oil leak it wasn't a bad oil leak but it was an oil leak and uh what he wound up doing was making a nice nifty little metal pan and he would put thick carpet right underneath where it was so that the oil would drop onto the carpet and he would replace the carpet whenever he needed it. I promise I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying as, as uh, Jerry Clower would say, but it's not fixing the problem by making this, this tuner to override something else. It doesn't fix the issue. What you need to do is find out why the things have a problem because there are no such things as isolated events in what we do. Uh, the way that, okay, intake air temperature sensor, who would have thought it? But it absolutely changes your shift points in your transmission because it's looking to find out how cold it is outside and when it needs to change and when it needs to shift. If you're seeing a problem with your transmission temperatures and it does not know there's a thermal valve in the trans to change the shift point, it's actually a mechanical valve. But the shift points in the transmission that are controlled, it can actually lead to premature transmission failure in what you're doing right there. The fan needs to kick on high. You don't want the fan not to kick on high when it's needed. That's the whole purpose of having that. Ford engineers didn't just design this stuff and, and uh, just for the fun of it. There are specific reasons for that. There's an orange, I think it's an orange and brown wire. That's the reference wire though, 
on the the sensor that you're talking about. Uh, it should be reading less than four and a half volts uh, at uh, ambient temperatures. And as it gets hotter, the voltage will decrease. So it's inversely proportional to what you would think. So it's definitely important to monitor that. If you've replaced that sensor, again, most likely, you know, there's about three major things that are in this. There's the, the PCM, uh, the wiring, and the sensor. Uh, we just actually had one in the shop just yesterday, I think it was, and had the same issue. And it wound up being the wiring harness. I hesitate to tell anybody that, because as soon as you tell somebody that, they go replace the harness. And say, I didn't fix my issue. Telling you to diagnose it. Uh, but uh, definitely check that. It's important to, uh, to make sure you figure out what's going on with that, because it won't just affect that. It's going to affect other things as well. Well, on, on these strokes, it takes in oil temp, coolant temp, ambient temperature. But if you were to shut that off, your AC would suck. That's exactly right. Which would eventually kill your air conditioning compressor because your head yeah. pressures are going through the There's roof. One more input, and, and the 6.4 was ahead of its time with a lot of the programming. Mm -hmm. And that's where the tuning side of it, getting somebody who understands it, is so it's essential. If you want tuning for a vehicle, it's going to last. Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly they're, they're not a fun vehicle to sit there and just play with because one day of playing with it can destroy it forever. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a really good point. Yeah. If that fan is not kicking on and cycling correctly, um, your air conditioning unit, I mean, this is what people don't get. Uh, they really don't see um, how much of There's not one, and I say this all the time, an engine is a, is a system. There is no individual component everything is affected by the next thing so but and you're exactly what you're talking about perfect example that ac compressor your head pressures are going to start climbing and climbing as the heat you know as it starts getting warmer outside the reason that fan kicks on is one is to be able to uh, reduce the amount of uh, to lower the the line pressure in the condenser so that when it goes back through the evaporator and it sprays from a gas to a from a liquid to a gas that it's able to absorb the heat that's uh, that's in the cab, but the head pressure from that will cause your, your AC compressor to fail. So it's important that you fix that because it, now you're thinking, how in the world does my transmission have anything to do with my air conditioner? Everything is a unit. It's all working together. It's not an isolated component. So fix it right, figure it out, don't rig it. That's the best advice anybody can give you. Yeah, we've had tuning in the past on the 6.4 world where guys were going in writing tuning and turning off certain uh codes like the p0088 you know yeah. codes that were important yep and that's scary there's trucks out there that have issues and there's no check engine line right you know? makes it really hard for the next guy working on mm -hmm. yeah. and that's something where a lot of the techs today don't get the hands-on troubleshooting that you know growing up working on a six nine or having been in a seven three or even a six liter Yep. You know, these new books have tons of computers. I am not nearly as into my 6.7 as I'm into my 6.4 that I wish I still had. Yeah. You know, you know, a lot of people say, you know, the job ones were complete junk. All I ever put in mine was exhaust, exhaust bag pressure sensor, two positive battery terminals, and a fuel rail pressure sensor, and a harness. That was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're good trucks. You just have to take care of them. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fine. Yeah. It, Generally, it's loosening out behind the wheel a lot of times. Or the bad thing about it is not to, not to lay that on all the drivers and the owners of the trucks. A lot of times it's people like, they really just don't understand. They're not mechanics. They don't understand 
that how you could do one thing and it would affect so many other things. You know, so many tuners out there that don't know what in the world they're doing. They just know that when they match the skinny pedal on the right, it goes faster. And that's got to be better tuning because it goes faster or it's got better acceleration or you know, whatever. That's not the uh, that's not the rule for good tuning. That's not the um, uh, the uh, the way to judge whether or not you have proper tuning in your vehicle. There's a lot of things that go in. And the truth is, is the more you learn, the more you know, the more you the more it scares you because you realize how how in the world did I get by with doing it that way? You know, it's kind of um, you know I always talk about uh, Tom Cams, a friend of mine, Billy Godbold, said you know they didn't have a uh, ad cold test a machine to test their camshafts for years, and but they got the first one and didn't send the camshaft out for three three days because they realized the surface finish was not where they that it really weren't they wanted it to be. So. But uh, with education, there is a is definitely a um, um, well. The more you know, uh, the more you can be winning and save you a lot of money. And now for something completely different. So we have a certain segment, Shana, that uh, we have the stupid question of the week, and we save that one for the last. All right, so I'm going to let you take this one. It says, my okay. mechanic replaced my glow plugs, and I wanted to make sure he wasn't a liar. So I took off my valve cover, and I had my brother crank my truck while I stood out in the front in the dark in our garage. Now, I'm all kinds of angry because I didn't see any glow from any of the glow plugs. I figured they'd be glowing up like crazy, like those plastic stars that kids put on our ceiling. But I don't see anything. Help! Should I call the cops? No, just need to understand that the end of that glow plug is, you know, down through the head. It's not there where you're going to see it, just standing in front of it. I would call the cops, definitely. I think the guy ripped you off, man. Call him, make us a video, let us know how it turned out for you. I will tell, I will tell you, my mom embarrassed me so bad when I, I was a kid. She wouldn't have the, de- her, the oil change in our diesel truck. They're just driving it home, the 30 miles home. She was afraid they didn't change it. She pulled out the dipstick, and it was already starting to get black. And she was convinced that they didn't change her oil. Yeah. I've had folks say that before to me. That's so true. Uh, you have you have people all the time that will uh, think that. And, you know, like like the six liter. I mean, how much oil is in the rails? You've at least got two quarts of oil between the rails and the, and the cooler. Yeah. So it's going to be dirty or uh, black anyways when you get done with it. Uh, and that goes... Well, if you're doing an oil change when it's hot, like if you stop in some place and they change your oil in 15 minutes, you're yeah. not getting a lot of, in- of that oil out of that engine. You're just not. Now, Duramax is old. Uh, we tested it one time just on some of the earlier model Duramax. They've got a hump in the pan, and that, that pan will actually hold another quart of oil uh, in that pan. So you're not really getting it all out. Um, but... You know, you you can only do so much, but um, but there's aftermarket pans there that, that actually will do a better job allowing you to drain that. But but anyway, so uh, yeah, I definitely call the cops for sure. I got yeah, I'm sure, I got, sure I got, they'd I got, get a laugh out of that. They probably wouldn't even know what low plugs are. That guy ripped you off. You let us know who that shop was, and we will post them up. Blast them. So anyway, well, man, I cannot begin to tell you, Shannon, thank you so much for the, 
uh, for the, the time out of your day. I know you're an extremely busy person, but I greatly appreciate your time that you've taken uh, to, to answer some of these questions and, and uh, just, just be on the segment with us, man. It's been, it's been fun. It was fun. It was fun. Good. It was a nice break. <laughs> yeah. That's a, uh, so that's, that's a, uh, quite a, I'm sure a headache sometimes where you're at doing with the, with the campers down there with guys coming in, but I'm sure that you see a lot of, a lot of guys with diesel trucks for sure down there and a lot of problems. So even though that you're not at the dealer or at the shop anymore, you're definitely, uh, you're seeing a lot of vehicles with a lot of problems. Yeah. Still. yeah we, we get them in here all the time. Um, just like people don't understand these newer diesels. Yeah. You let them idle a little bit longer than like the six, four time. Yeah. But I had a guy that was letting his truck idle for eight hours a night because his wife didn't want the dog inside the camper with them. <laughs> oh, man. And it was limp mode the whole, you know, it puts it in limp mode that tells you to pull over safely. Yeah. I limped him from the other side of the highway over here, and his DPF was completely clogged, of course. Uh, yeah, for sure. So the two manual regions had to go get fuel in between the two because when you do a manual region on a 6.7, it lasts forever, and it's loud. And that poor truck, I mean, it fixed everything, but try to tell them, you can't do that to these trucks. No, that's fine. Yeah, that's a mess. But at least the dog had air conditioning, right? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen a ruptured EGR coolers on a, or an EGR cooler on a six liter. The guy continued to drive on it, cracked both of his heads. Mm, yeah, that'll do it. No doubt. Definitely. So, so we get them all in here, and... You know, my husband's a decent mechanic as well, and his his thing is the Cummins, and so that's where he likes to play, and I deal with the power strokes, and I don't have a lot to say about the Duramax. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, the Duramaxes are always seems like one of two things, wiring or, or fuel systems or a broken crankshaft. Yeah, yeah they, they like to do the electrical gremlin thing. Yeah. What, what you troubleshoot it to is usually not the problem. You gotta keep on troubleshooting after you cut it out. Nope, not it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking your time. I greatly appreciate it. And, uh, for a break from the monotony here. There you go. Well, I will uh, let you get back to your your drunken employees and your dog. The drunken employees have gone back to her abode. The dogs are still here, and I like the dogs a lot better. <laughs> I'll blame you. I would too. Right. Now, if you need anything, Shane, you give me a shout. And I will holler. I'll see you later, okay? All right, bye. Bye. All right, guys. So thanks so much for your questions. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. We love to take time to uh, try to help as much as we can in the industry. Um, but be sure, if you will, to like and uh, subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Chode Engineering Performance, as well as Instagram. The link's below. Uh, keep the questions coming. Thanks a bunch, and uh, see you next time. Ready now? Oh my gosh, not this thing again. You've got to be kidding me. He's facing the wrong way. That's right. I have told him not to do that, but whatever. It seems to make him happy. It does. It's true. It's the little things with him.